Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. In this episode, I want to recount some tales from the first real bluegrass festival that I ever attended. And it might give you some insights into what you may expect when you start going out and hitting the festivals. Now I want to say this first, I had gone to several festivals prior to the one I'm going to describe, but there were one day events. I went to a thing called the 11 Alive, uh, I forget what it was, it was up in Cumming, Georgia, it was in 1977, it was at Seven Branches Farm. I remember that, and it had everybody. I'm talking about Bill Monroe, John Hartford, the Osborne Brothers, Lewis Family, Seldom Seen, everybody. But it was a one-day festival, so there was no camping, and so therefore there was very little jamming going on. So I went to that thing. And I went to a couple of small festivals that were just, some of them were just like five hours in the evening. And it packed into a little auditorium somewhere. I remember I went to one called the Rockdale County Bluegrass Festival. And just sat in the audience in a folding chair. And when the show was over, went home. Uh, you know, that's not the kind of festival I'm talking about. I'm talking about a festival that is the whole weekend or longer. And there's stage shows going on and there are people camping out. And there's a lot of picking and a lot of jamming going on. Well, I eventually found a festival like that. And I want to tell you about that first experience. Now, I have been, I had a guitar and a mandolin and a fiddle and a banjo. I don't think I had a bass yet. This was probably in 1978. I got a bass pretty, pretty shortly thereafter. But it's roughly at that time I've been playing the banjo for, I don't know, not very long. And knew a couple of chords on guitar. I didn't really know anything. <clears throat> so... I see advertised somewhere the Marietta Bluegrass Festival and decide I'm going to go. There's like 30 bands listed on the flyer. Well, man, I want to go to this and it's, it's three days. At least it was Friday and Saturday, but it was at least two nights of camping. So I talked to my buddy and you remember that episode I said about having a partner in crime. Well, I get my partner in crime and I say, hey, we need to go to this. And I believe it was Les Turner, the guy that I mentioned in a previous episode. I think he went with me. So we put our instruments in the car, my little 1978 Dodge Colt, and we drove to Marietta. Well, when you pull in the gate, and back in those days, the, the park was pretty uh, dilapidated. The, that was before they got big grant checks from Federal Reserve money, bailout grants and stuff. And it's really nice now. They got a big horse arena. They've paved everything. They tore down all the old sheds. It's pretty nice these days. It's called Jim Miller Park. If, you've, if you're ever around Marietta, Georgia, you may have been there. But back in the old days, we just called it the Marietta Fairgrounds. 
Well, in those days, when you pulled in the, the gate, there'd be somebody there, take your money. And you could turn to the left, and there was a gravel road that went out about a quarter of a mile or so, made a loop and came back. And on as you're going down that gravel driveway, on either side of you were these sheds that were probably about 16 feet square, old wooden dilapidated sheds with a single light bulb hanging by a wire in the middle for light. And as I'm pulling in, in those sheds, there would be a group of people sitting in that shed with folding chairs or something and playing bluegrass inside each shed. And you drive, and then beside the shed would be a camper, a tent, a pickup truck with a camper on the back, pop-up campers. Just everybody's just crammed everywhere. It's a madhouse. You don't see many RVs because this was before anybody had enough money to buy RVs. This was in the days when you slept in the back of your truck, or you slept in your car, or you slept in a tent. You know, the real well-to-do bluegrassers might have had pop-up campers or maybe a little Scotty. That kind of camper. So anyway, it's just a um, a long gravel road, and then you loop back around. And there's more of these sheds. And these sheds were when the fair came to town in the fall. These sheds were where they put their vendors, probably their food vendors, because they had electric electric power in there. So you know, this shed might be the guy that has corn dogs and hot dogs and popcorn and you know, during the fair. But during the Bluegrass Festival, the Bluegrassers just took them over because they were a little warmer if it was cool at night to be inside. Really wasn't inside. They were, you know, walls up about waist high and then screens and then a roof. But, you know, it did make it a tad more pleasant if the weather was chilly because they did a spring festival and a fall festival. So anyway... There are these sheds, and each shed contains a picking. And there's just pickers everywhere, it seems like. So anyway, we roll around, wide-eyed, you know. I'm probably 18 years old. And as we complete our loop, and we're coming up back towards where, kind of where we turned in, there's a shed there with a massive gang of people must be 40 people centered around a light bulb underneath this shed and it was kind of an open-sided shed didn't have the walls it was just a roof like a pole barn bunch of people standing around it so we just kind of turned off there and parked very near that and got out of the car and walked over and i'm watching this live bluegrass jam session First time ever. I've never actually seen this going on. I've been reading books and I've been listening to records, but I've never actually observed anybody playing up close. So me and my buddy are standing there kind of on the fringe of the of the little jam session, and right dead center in the middle of the jam session is a guy named Jim Duck Adkins, who I later Quite a few years later, this was in probably 78, in 1983, I ended up joining his band as a mandolin player, the band Cedar Hill, and I played with him for 27 years. But I didn't know him at that time. 
He's in the middle. He's holding court. You can tell he's sort of the jam master. And he is going for it. And I, I noticed all the pickers are standing. Everybody's standing. So there's guitar players and mandolin players and fiddle players and a bass player. And, it just, and a, a crowd of people standing around them, too. So we stand there and we're, we're watching this for about 30 minutes and I'm just dumbfounded. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. You know, I thought I was beginning to make some progress on the banjo. And I was stood there watching Duck. And I, I felt like nothing. I felt like the smallest molecule, or as I used to describe it, the grit on the felt on the pawn on the chessboard of bluegrass. That was me. I was nobody. But I was enjoying this, and I was just taking it all in, taking it all in and not really understanding everything. But I see this guy. And if you've seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And the scene where they get up at the microphone and they sing Man of Constant Sorrow, and they've got those fake beards, those long ZZ Top kind of beards, I look over, kind of, this guy is playing fiddle with this jam. And I look at this old guy. He really wasn't that old, but he had one of them long beards coming down. And I, I kind of elbowed my, my buddy and like nodded at him, like, check, check this guy out. And he's playing, he's playing. And I look at, I'm just studying everything. And I'm looking at his fiddle. And I notice that the F hole on his fiddle has got the corner kind of busted out kind of big enough you could stick your thumb in that hole like his fiddle is busted and i stick an elbow in my buddy's rib and i point at that fiddle and i said check that out well just at that moment that fiddle player he stopped right in the middle of what he was playing dropped his arms and he turned and looked at me and his eyes, like two laser beams, he looked me dead in the eye. And he said, what are you looking at? And a shiver, I mean, a shiver went down my spine. I was like, oh. And I said, oh, oh, I, I was just looking at your fiddle. What a nice old fiddle that is, that's all. And he kind of screwed his right eye up at me and like squinted a little bit and said, all right. And he turned around and went back to fiddling. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> I mean, this is a real this is a real bluegrass guy here. And <laughs> I almost stepped in it that time, didn't I? So anyway, this goes on. So remember that fiddle player. I'm gonna come back to him at the end. And by the way, his name is Luther Devers. I didn't know the man from Adam at that time. I didn't know any of these people, and they didn't know me. That was Luther Devers, who sent the cold chill up my spine. Well, anyway, after this, we stood around watching this jam. There was no way in the world I was getting my instrument out and going to try to get into this. This is like, I'm a one, they're a ten. You know, this would be crazy, but I'm just soaking it up. So after a while, the... Uh, we wandered around a little bit and looking for other jams and watched some other people and came back around and very, very late that night, the jam was sort of dying down and the banjo player duck 
you could tell he had a couple of guys there with him that, that he knew and they were playing tunes that they knew. And that was the, uh, that was the band Cedar Hill. It was Fred McIsaac and Bob McIsaac and Chip Dunbar on the mandolin. And Jeff Johnson. I don't know that Jeff Johnson was actually there. Uh, but anyway, they were, you could tell they knew each other. And they were kind of younger than a lot of the other people. You know, the, the crowd, the pickers might have averaged, you know, around 30. But these guys were considerably younger, a few years younger. Well, anyway... And they looked a little more like hippies, you know. Bob and Fred McIsaac, they, they looked a little bit like hippies. Kind of had some kind of longish hair and, you know, beards and stuff. Well, as this thing wound down, one of those guys in Cedar Hill, I think it was Chip, the mandolin player, he, he walked over to me and he said, maybe he, he noticed our age or something, and he said to me, hey, man, you want to go see the elephant? And I'm like, see the elephant? Well, no, no, that's all right. And, uh, well, no, I don't think so. Thank you. Cause I'm thinking in my innocent, um, <laughs> you know, Sunday school, um, acolyte at church, boy scout. I didn't know what his little secret code meant when he said, Hey, you want to go see the elephant? I immediately thought, he probably means, hey, you want to go like smoke some weed? You know, that's what I that's what I thought. So he goes, okay, well that's cool, and he turns away, and we just keep standing around. He walked off down that long gravel path, and I thought, yeah, he's going way, way, way off somewhere, you know, where nobody would ever find out what they're up to down there, and I stand around. Well, in a little while, another one of them guys says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go back to the campsite. We're camped way at the far end by the, by the fence. And later on, I found out that was about a half a mile. It was at least a quarter mile. It was a long way down, all the way at the very, very, very end of the campground where nobody was. They had a van and an old station wagon way down there that was their camp and there was a good 100 or 200 yards between them and anybody else i guess they just liked their privacy well another one of those guys uh it was probably either bob or fred they noticed me still hanging around you know i don't know what to do i i'm still hanging around everybody's drifting off he says hey you want to see the elephant i was like Nah, nah, that's all right. Nah. Okay, well, if you want to see the elephant, we're camped way down yonder. Come on down. And they leave. So that that jam session sort of evaporated. You know, there was still one or two, like a guy there playing the guitar. And, you know, it just wasn't nothing going on. So me and my friend Les, we decided, well, why don't, let's walk down there. Let's at least walk down there. So we go strolling through the campsite. It's probably, I don't know, it's probably 1 o'clock in the morning. Might be 2 o'clock in the morning. We didn't bring any camping supplies or food or nothing. We didn't have anything with us. We were totally unprepared for what we were doing. 
we decided, well, you know, those guys are pretty nice. Maybe we walk down there. Maybe they got, you know, some food or something. So we stroll down and you get down there and there would be a, there would be a light up on a pole periodically. And then you would kind of leave that bubble of light and go through a little darkness. And then there'd be another pole with a light. And then you got to this long, just, it basically turned into just a, a grass pasture. But I could see down there a little light, you know, like maybe a flashlight or a lantern or something way on down there. So we, we keep on walking and we, we appear out of the darkness at the camp. And these guys are all just sitting around and Chip looks up at me and says, Oh, so I see you want to, you came down to see the elephant. I said, well, I didn't come down to see the elephant, but we just thought we'd come down here and see what y'all are doing. And I look up, and behind them is an elephant. I'm talking about a real elephant. Gigantic. It's an actual elephant. It's standing right there beside their campsite. And I look. My eyes are adjusting to the the low light of their little one little lantern. And he's got like a, a rope or a chain or something around his foot tied to this big giant pine tree. And there's like a couple of bales of hay there and a big tub of water. There is an elephant at their campsite. The guy wasn't lying. It was not code. It was like, hey, you want to see the elephant? He was telling the truth. There really was an elephant. And I watched... I looked at this elephant and my, I mean, my head is spinning. I can't believe what I'm experiencing here. I said, what, what's up with the elephant? He's like, well, the circus was here and the truck broke down and they had to get it fixed. So they just left the elephant here while they get the truck fixed. <laughs> something like that. I'm like, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. So I hung out down there with them. Duck, give me a Coke and, you know, we talked a little bit, and they—you could tell they were tired and getting ready to go to sleep in their tent or something. So we left, went back up, got in the car, and drove home. So that was my first experience at the Marietta Bluegrass Festival, where I saw the elephant. But now let me flash forward about twenty-five years. I got nothing to do one weekend, and me and my partner in crime, Buddy Ashmore, we decide we're going to go to the Raccoon Creek Bluegrass Festival. We end up going separately. We drove separately. I drive up there. I'm just going to sleep in the back of my truck. Raccoon Creek in Dallas, Georgia. Good jamming festival. A little small family-run festival. There's always good jamming there. So I go to that festival. Well, I get up on Saturday morning, and uh, I see a buddy of mine, David Ellis, walking around. I said, David, hey man. He comes over, he sits down. We're just talking. You know, it's early. Nobody's really picking this early in the morning. I got my mandolin out and David's got his guitar case or banjo or something. So after, you know, shooting the breeze for a while, I said, you know, hey, you, you, want, you want to pick a little bit? All right. So we get him out and he says, what do you want to do? I said, well, um, hey, I got an idea. I've been working on this idea with some of my students. I've been trying to get them to learn to play in every key. 
So, hey, just try this. Just follow me. I knew David could follow me on anything. I said, just follow me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play Sally Gooden. I'm going to start in the key of A. I'm going to play the A part and the B part. You know, A, A, B, B. Playing Sally Gooden. And then you take a break on it. And then, as soon as you finish your break, we're going to move it up a half step and play it in B flat. Same thing, B flat. Finish that, we're going to move it up to B. Then we're going to move it up to C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, and so on. We're going to come all the way around. We're going to play Sally Gooden in all 12 keys. I'm just curious if we can do it. He's like, okay, let's try it. So we start and play Sally Gooden A, and he plays it, and then we move up to B flat. Ah, that was kind of cool. Now the fingering's a little trickier, but playing it in B flat, he plays it in B flat, then we go to B. We try it in B, and we just keep on going. This thing just keeps climbing like a spiral. We're going higher and higher and higher in 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 tonality in, in the key. And we get up to about the key of G. We're almost home. We got to still do G sharp or A flat and then do it one more time in A, and we're done. And won't that be cool just to see if we could do it? So about in G, I'm playing it in G, and then... David's taking it in G, and I look over to my left, and who do I see standing there but Luther Devers, the guy who looked, gave me that evil eye for looking at his fiddle. There's Luther. He's got his fiddle in his hand. He's probably just hunting some coffee or something. It's still pretty early on Saturday morning. He sits down next to us, and we did G, G sharp, a shaving haircut and we're laughing wasn't that funny we we were able to play it all in all 12 keys we get done luther says man what was that tune i love that <laughs> it just tickled me there's a tune that luther he knows sally gooden every fiddle player knows sally gooden but he'd never heard it played quite like that so he wouldn't quite recognize it i said hey that was just we were just fooling around. That was Sally Good, and we tried to play it in all 12 keys. He said, well, that's cool. The reason I point out Luther is because I saw Luther over and over and over and over. Any festival I went to in North Georgia, you're bound to run into Luther. So I guess if I have any point to this whole uh, story here is that Sometimes your first impressions, don't go by your first impressions. Because if I went my, by my first impressions of him, I would have been scared to death of him. I would have been thought he's going he's gonna to kill me or something, you know. But he turned out to be like a super nice guy who I saw over and 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 over at many, many bluegrass festivals over the years. Uh, and you will run into people like that. And, and sometimes your first impression will be completely wrong. Sometimes you'll be right, though, you know. Anyway, so that's my tales of the first time I went to a real bluegrass festival. And I won't bore you with any more details about it. But I would just end this to say this, and it's something I've said in a previous episode. And that is, when you're learning, you do most of your technical learning at home, sitting in your chair hopefully watching my videos or studying my lessons over on bradleylaird.com. Got to get my one little plug in there. 
That's where you learn to do these things, but you don't really experience it until you go out that door. You got to go out the door, get in the car, get in the truck, go to festivals, go to shows, go to jam sessions, put some mileage on your car, truck, RV. You know, if, if you got a big fat retirement check and you got a quarter million dollar RV, more power to you. Can I sleep in your RV at the next festival? Because uh, most of us middle of the road, not upper tier bluegrassers and not lower tier, but the guys in the middle that have tried to foolishly make a living at all this, we're the type that don't have motorhomes. We're still sleeping in the truck. Anyway, what I'm saying is get out the door. Bluegrass does not happen on the internet and it does not happen in your chair playing along with a really great, you know, Curtis Jones backing track. I mean, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, but it's a lot better to go find Curtis and play with him. You get my drift? Go out and do the real thing. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this little trip back through time and I hope you get out there and see the elephant. 